0: You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show.
1: Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurelia Mottier, and I'm here today with Garrett Mergut, CEO at Directive Consulting. How are you doing today, Garrett? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, chat with you, Ray, and uh, glad to be here. Yeah, that's an absolute pleasure as well on my side. So our topic for today is, it's time to value sales development and its role in B2B marketing success. It's a long title, but I like the idea behind it, and I'm very excited about that conversation today. But before we go into the detail, Garrett, could you please introduce yourself as well as, you know, give us more information about your company directive?
0: Yeah, so... I started Directive about five years ago, almost six actually now, so like five and a half years ago. And uh, we do search marketing for enterprise brands, a lot in the B2B space. Uh, Historically, the last two, three years, we've been really focused on B2B. And yeah, we essentially partner with in-house marketing teams in the B2B space, a lot of times uh, demand generation, and help them hit their goals and their KPIs around leads and uh, opportunities, deals, and revenue. So yeah, we focus a lot in that area and mostly SEO and PPC. Excellent. Well, that's and that's
1: what's quite intriguing for me, because today we would have expected to to probably have more conversation with you around digital marketing and SEO. But I like the fact that your company understands that their job is not just to deliver leads. It's you care as an organization about what actually happens to the leads after you hand them over to to the sales development team of your clients, and I think that's that's invaluable. But you know, we know that when the sales development took the slids on, obviously there will be different kind of outcome that you can expect. It could be an opportunity, it could be a nurturing opportunity, or it could be no opportunity, wrong person, wrong company, wrong, wrong contact. But coming back to my main question and my opening question, why is it time to value sales development? And why do you think it isn't valued enough at the moment?
0: Sales development goes a couple of ways, right? So a lot of times the reason sales development, I, I wouldn't say sales development isn't necessarily valued in high growth organizations. I think in legacy organizations, sales development isn't as valued. And I think one of the reasons is, you know, in B2B, when you have a higher purchase, like I've learned two things are really important to why sales development works or not. One of the things that's important for if sales development works or not is timing. I found that the most important thing in sales development is getting the timing right. We have some cool tactics that we've developed here to get the timing right more often. So that's really important. But it depends if you're a replacement product or an add-on product or a replacement service or an add-on service. So if you're a replacement service, that means intrinsically for someone to hire you, they have to fire someone. And if your industry relies on more long-term contracts or six- or 12-month contracts, then once again, it goes back to timing because they couldn't even hire you even if they wanted to a lot of the times. And so you have to start to understand in sales development, when you have high purchase prices, a replacement product, you have to learn to get the timing right. And so there's a lot of things that go into it. And if you don't understand all that and you kind of think that you're just going to send out hundred emails and get three responses and then set two meetings and get one deal, it doesn't actually work like that. And so I think a lot of times people go in with the wrong expectations and they don't realize that it takes six months to ramp up an SDR sometimes, or it could take a, you know two years of investment to build out the team before they even get to positive ROI. And a lot of people don't want to invest that type of capital. Yeah.
1: And I think the timing is key. You know, um, we, we, we've seen it all and, and probably so, so have you. Uh, but I think if, if someone downloads a a 20 pages white paper, following up with them within five minutes of them doing the download might not be really relevant because nobody can read it that bit. Okay. However, at the other end, you know, we also deal with chat. So we may have someone coming up onto a chat and, you know, the problem with chat is that you often have people asking you questions about the product they already got <laughs> and not really trying to buy stuff yeah. through chat or you know you may also have a, a lot of time waster but with chat, you need to be very quick because if i want if I'm doing a chat and actually had an example in my personal life where I was, was trying to deal with someone and I had the chat window open for probably like five minutes, and then what you do, you open another window and you carry on your day, you do something else, and then when you come back the chat is finished so you're like, yeah. oh, you've got to start the process again so. Tell me a little bit more about the timing and and and, and what you see as best practices I, I agree with you that there is a wide range so it may be a tricky question, but could yeah. you just develop a little bit more or, or share with us a few more stories about where you've seen the timing being very important and, and successful for your clients?
0: yeah, one of the things we found with timing is it's critical to map accounts and so what we learned is a lot of times when you're trying to sell someone or build a relationship, we oftentimes we ask for too much. We, we start the conversation with asking for their time, which is the most valuable thing to any professional that you're actually trying to get their business from. And so we ask for a meeting. We have for a 50-minute call, book a time here, intro calls. And what I found is it's actually better to learn about their current situation. Do they have an agency or not? Are you already using a sales platform? Okay, when's that contract up? Are you the best person to talk with? So we actually focus on here at Directive mapping accounts that's our primary initial kpi and by mapping accounts we can then build in our salesforce database we know when every account is up and we know then we can essentially give our sales development team okay in 6 months this contract's up and eventually they have thousands of accounts where they actually already know when the timing's right which makes us incredibly successful that way
1: so it's kind of a grace period before their renewal is due so if you know that someone is going to run you something in January 2020 and you know that you've got a two-month sales cycle, you probably want to contact them mid-October to say, yeah. hey, do you remember the conversation we had? We appreciate yeah, and that and you are you're... now. For, for mm-hmm. Yep, That makes sense.
0: That makes if sense you're a replacement sense. product, Ray, you couldn't. Remember, if you're asking for an intro call and they can't even hire you, you know what they do, right? That's the 97% of people that don't respond. And so what we yeah. do instead is let's engage with the people that yeah. – aren't responding because they don't have any timing. It's not that their message isn't necessarily relevant and they wouldn't hire us. It's that the timing is so wrong that they can't even worry about it right now. So instead, we ask questions that are not timing dependent to learn more about them. And then we can get the timing right and then not bug them. And it doesn't feel salesy because they're actually genuinely thinking about a new organization, new software, new agency to support them at that time. And so when we reach out, we get to have a lovely conversation, we get a meeting, and then we get to help them make a purchasing decision because we know the timing's right. And that's a really important part. So so is that something that you do through like a progressive
1: profiling type of approach? So I don't know, you've got, let's say you've got hundred of questions to ask me, you know, in order to put me in the right segment, in order to disposition me as a contact for, for your organization. Does that mean that every single time you've got an interaction with me, you will ask me a different question. So as time goes by and and while you may not be getting my time yet, but mm-hmm. you may be getting information that will help you to go further and further into who is that guy? who is What is he doing in the company and what does he really care about? Is that, is that what you guys do?
0: We go more relational. So we'll just okay. try to learn about you. We'll find out what you like. We'll probably send you a gift. Uh, we'll call you. We'll LinkedIn message you. We'll email you. We'll show up in person. We'll eventually figure out when Ray, we'll figure out if Ray wants to hire an agency, if he doesn't, if he currently has one, and if he does currently have one, when's that contract up? We don't want to bug you. We just want to let you know that we exist and we want to get the timing right so that you can focus on what you do and that you know about us when you're focused on what we do. And by aligning ourselves in that way, it makes us less salesy and more helpful And we just learn about you, we build a relationship, and we figure out when the timing's right. And then we don't bug you. We might shoot you a case study every month, every two months, but we let you do your job. And we know that as long as we reach out 60 days, 90 days, before you're going to make a purchasing decision, now we can start to have a sales conversation. Before that, we have relational conversations. Absolutely. And I think it's the right way to
1: do it the right way to do it because you you want people particularly you know uh, your line of business is very similar to our line of business at operatics we sell services Mm -hmm. and unfortunately there is lots of people in my domain as Mm -hmm. there is a lot in your domain that make that make your domain look bad and my domain Mm -hmm. look bad because Mm -hmm. there is lots of people that will come with crazy business model crazy solutions and probably yeah. oversell over promise and under deliver which yeah. then kind of impact us because we speak to people who have had their finger burned yeah now we got it with you yeah you know i agree with you i mean I, I get actually even sometimes contacted by companies who are direct competitors of us and and they ask me if i need their services and and i'm i'm sure you've got the same and you know it's it's the same with i think recruitment and and all the other type of services that are a little bit more where there is lots of competition. And I think there is two things. Not only you've got to respect the the prospect, but you also need to, at the outset, very, very quickly put in front of them what makes you unique in the market. And what change, what difference you can create for them. And and then those differences should be probably two or three little stones that they've got in their shoe. And as they're carrying on with their current supplier, you know, can they carry on with another year with a with with, with a stone in their shoe or is the sh- the stone big enough that actually they need to do something about it now? But but we do use the same approach, that like a soft touch approach, a respectful approach, because I think that how professional you are and how you would treat that prospect, which ultimately is, is quite important, I believe.
0: Yeah, just you know the, the it's always this weird place, right, of balancing volume so you can get the timing right more often and then personal where you where you're building relationships and so you know for us we segment and we say okay each sdr has 110 accounts that we know by name that we fully mapped and those are the accounts that they're really focused on that if we get them now or if we get them in five years we'd still want them and it's worth it and so we invest a lot there and then we use other things to scale up our volume for the rest of that market so that you know we always have essentially our account-based sales development model as well as kind of a vertical-based sales development model. And we kind of blend the two to help us hit volume goals as well as personal goals.
1: That makes perfect sense. And who should uh, the sales development teams report to primarily from your perspective? Do you think they should report to marketing or do you think they should report to sales?
0: Oh, I think they need to report to sales, but I think they can report to like, the way we operate is I have shared goals between marketing and sales development. And we we do a lot of events. We do a lot of like so we do two events a month in almost every major city that from our mapped accounts based on like where the geography. And so we'll do two events a month. And then what that does is it gives our SDR team a way to decrease psychological friction because now they're giving the prospect something. They're saying they're inviting them to something instead of asking them for something. And so it changes the relationship of SDR and then marketing has to host event and then they share essentially opportunities. So we have an opportunities, deals, and revenue goal for the entire growth department that marketing and sales development share, right? I found sales development struggles with messaging, marketing struggles sometimes with quotas and KPIs. And so we kind of blend the two, but I do have a director of sales development and I do have a director of marketing. And then I have a separate account executive team, which are just kind of senior guys that operate a little bit on their own. Uh, But all three exist within a growth department, which I still head up. And so I'm kind of like chief revenue officer in that sense. And then I have a director of marketing, a senior account executive a client-facing account executive, and then, you know, a director of sales development. And then those people essentially report into me, uh, but they're all sharing the same numbers, actually. Of course, yeah,
1: that makes sense. Uh, what do you think is the, you mentioned there is, an, there is a requirement for an agreement between sales marketing and sales development. So that magic pipeline generation triangle. What are the key KPIs that you would recommend to our audience to look at? And, and this is a question that we ask a lot in that podcast because it's so important to understand actually what you should look at qualitative versus quantitative is, it's always a big, a big question, but is there anything in in, in particular that you you look at in terms of alignment
0: and KPIs? Yeah. So I track accounts mapped because remember, I really want to build my data set and know when contracts are up because then I can crack the timing code and it makes it so much easier to sell. So accounts mapped is a really important KPI to me. Intro calls, So essentially, like not conversations, but like essentially initial meetings, then proposals or demos, so opportunities. So we call anything where a proposal is given, we call it an opportunity, and then deals and revenue. And that's it. I I try to actually, I let my director of sales development track a lot of other things like conversation length and dials and emails. What I've realized is if you create too strict of a recipe for a sales development rep, every (laughs) sales development rep has interpersonal and things that make them unique as a person, as a human. And a lot of times set input numbers like 200 dials or 50 dials or 200 emails, or 300, it doesn't allow one person where a woman might be phenomenal on LinkedIn and she can just hit her numbers every time doing just LinkedIn. Another guy is terrible on LinkedIn, but he's world-class on the phone. Another guy is terrible on the phone, but he's amazing at writing copy. And what I found is if I try to make all three of them the same SDR, I get lower performance. So I really worry a lot more about my output management than I do on my input management. And so I give people a lot of freedom to hit their accounts mapped intro call and opportunity goals on the sales development side more than hitting their call goals or their email goals. And if they're not calling or emailing and they're not hitting their numbers, then you can kind of do a performance review or let them go. But you have to give them the freedom to figure out if they're better on the phones or better on the email or better on social, and then just hit their opportunity deals or revenue goal from there. Of course, of course, that makes perfect sense. I'm I'm, going to move on a little bit
1: from from the SDR, BDR, sales development in general. And I know that you are a strong believer in the concept and why you need to focus your attention on your brand and and not only on your search results. Can you please elaborate on that for our audience? Yeah, so you work with a lot of software companies, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, we do. You most most of our clients, actually probably 85% of our clients are software companies.
0: So yes, we do. So pretty much the same with myself. I'd say I'm about, you know, 75% SaaS. Mm-hmm. And what I found is like if you go on Google right now and you search top ERP software, Oracle, Microsoft Dynamics, and whoever's else in that space, they don't rank. And that's not because Oracle and Microsoft have terrible websites and terrible brands and no pages and no SEO. Because Google has decided that at the bottom of the funnel, when people are looking for a purchasing type decision, they're doing comparison shopping, people want to look at review sites. That's G2 Crowd, Software Advice, Captera. These are sites that you might scrape away or you might be doing for list building. These are owned by Gartner, Forrester and other players in the space. My point is, I call this the Yelp and the Amazon effect. If we look yeah. at Yelp before we buy a $5 breakfast burrito, we sure as heck are going to look at software advice before we buy a quarter million dollar software and so it doesn't matter if your website shows up or your brand shows up the point is that you're discoverable and so what we help these organizations learn and we measure and we manage for them is how often their brands are showing up when people are searching because if you're only measuring if your website shows up but google's saying your website isn't going to show up because that's not what our searcher wants then you're trying to do something that isn't actually feasible so if you're telling that to your client obviously the client's going to fire you because you didn't do what you said you would It has nothing to do with your ability, it has everything to do with your reality. And so we look at the reality of a search engine, the reality of a buying journey, and then we position our clients to be discovered at every point of that, whether there's informational intent or purchase intent. And then we essentially measure that, reallocate funds and time and effort so that our clients drastically increase pipeline and then grow opportunities, deals, and revenue. And we've been hyper-effective with brands like Sumo Logic and Surewell. We just started working with Betterment. We do everything for Allstate and Cisco and Samsung and Tencent and you know countless SaaS companies in the mid markets and enterprise space by helping them essentially be discoverable and from there grow exceptionally. I mean, you're in the sales space. We worked with exactly for over two years, and when we first started with them, we grew their pipeline by over three hundred percent in the first quarter by just helping them get on review sites and be more discoverable and show up when it mattered, and they were hyper successful. It really does work. And that makes perfect sense. You know, I mean.
1: This is, I'm moving into a new house now and my wife is asking me to buy a new, uh, I was looking for a wine fridge, believe it or not. Sounds very, very cliche for a French man, but there you go. <laughs> and I had no idea what a good wine fridge is and I did exactly what you you, you mentioned. I mean, you took the, the example of a burrito, which I also like, but I went on comparison websites and basically bought the fridge that I think was pleasing most of the
0: people that like the same sort of That's wine. The they they do. Thing. Right? Exactly. You didn't go to their website, right? You just went to that review site, you learned about them, and then you went to their website. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All these marketing and growth people want people to first go to their website, but that's not actually how a purchasing journey works. And so, but the problem is is because they can't track how well they're doing on the other site, they don't value it because they have to report on metrics. And because they become so KPI obsessed and so obsessed on the metrics that they can report on. They don't value the things that are actually going to grow the most important metrics, like opportunities, deals, and revenue. And so we try to help educate people, and we help them measure it and track it using SQL databases and our kind of engineering team to actually show, look, we can actually track those third-party sites, show the value, and allow you to be a much better demand generation or search marketer and drive opportunities, deals, and revenue for your SaaS company. Of course. Then I'm interested to, to ask you one last question. That's around marketing attribution
1: we've got a large part of our audience who are marketing professional mm-hmm. in software companies or you know, B2B, high-level services type of companies. And, and we often speak to them about marketing attribution and particularly when you do a lot of online stuff or PR and all that sort of great things. Mm-hmm. But how can you track your investment in brand building and attribute it back to marketing after a conversion into
0: opportunity or revenue? You can do it in certain areas, like with view-through conversions. So by setting up the yeah. script properly on your site, you can see view through, but here's what I would argue, right? We need to just take a deep breath and use common sense sometimes. And the problem is, you can't really attribute it yet that well, but because we're so desperate to attribute everything, we forget about the value of brand. And what I mean yeah. by that is we want to be the largest company, but we don't ever think about being the most well-known company. You know, it's crazy, right? In 2019, We forgot about all the basics of advertising and marketing that have worked so well. The reason why Super Bowl commercials are still a thing. The reason why we all purchase from brands we recognize. Imagine how much more successful and effective sales development is when you call people. And when you say who you are, they've heard of you before. Like that is a huge factor in close rate and acquisition of new business. Yet because we can't say, oh, which ad did they see before they saw it? We stop investing in brand building because we can't measure it perfectly to the deal. And we then invest in higher acquisition channels like SEO and PPC, which I also 100% believe in, but then we devalue brand. Right now, my business is getting 20 million impressions for $4,000 a month. And we've had enterprise brands that we dreamed about fill out our form since launching the campaigns who didn't fill out our form before because they've heard of us now. And not only have they heard of us, when they search for SEO agency, when they search for PPC agency, they find us. And now instead of being the brand they haven't heard of, now we're the brand they've seen, they've heard of, and has great reviews. And now we're able to work with them. We have our positioning right, we have our awareness, and it equals revenue generation. The other way they can track it, the rate, because I don't want it to be like you can't track it at all, you can use the view-through conversions, and you can look at your direct traffic to your brand. So you can go look at direct traffic in Google and see if that's growing, a.k.a. more people just knowing about you. You can look at a tool like SCM Rush or Ahrefs, And then search your brand name and see how many people are searching that a month. And then you can measure if that goes up or down. There's a lot of ways to do it. And I'm actually building a software that will be launching sometime in the next six months that measures your brand discoverability across versus you and your top two competitors. So you can put in a thousand keywords and see how often your brand shows up, not just your website. So if you show up on somebody else's site, if you show up in ads, if you show up on a review site, if you show up in the map, if you show up on shopping campaigns, we'll be able to measure all of that and then benchmark it against your competition. And then every month, you'll see if you're becoming more or less discoverable. And I do believe that the future of search marketing is making brands discoverable for keywords that people are looking for. And it's going to be a crucial part that is not being valued nearly enough today.
1: Yeah, and no, I agree with you absolutely 100%. Well, unfortunately, we are coming to the end of our period of shame because I probably can think about another twenty question I can ask you, but you know we need to keep them short. If not, <laughs> if not, we're just coming out of the attention spam or, or, or the the thirty minutes commute average uh, so, audience. But um I, I wanted to thank you for your insight today, Garrett. Right. I, I really appreciate the, the fact that you took the time to to get together with me and and share uh, all your thoughts and answer all the questions that I had to, to ask you. If anyone wants to get in touch with you to follow up, speak about directive, just ask you a question about what we discussed today.
0: What's the best way to get hold of you? Yeah, you can just go to directiveconsulting.com and you know we have a live chat, we have a form there. You can also email us for new business at sales at directiveconsulting.com. And if you just want to chat, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, it's G. And then my last name Maragut. Across all those platforms. Garrett Merigou, you'll find me. I'm the only one in the world. So love to chat with you, love to connect, answer any questions you have. If you're trying to think about how to grow your lead volume or give your sales development team better leads, hotter leads, warmer leads, and just grow overall, overall pipeline at a SaaS company or in an enterprise brand. We would we'd love to support you and I'd love to chat and see if it's a fit. Sounds great.
1: Well, many thanks once again. It was great to have you on the show today, Garrett. All right. Thank you so much, Ray.
0: Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.